So Father, we pray you would pour your spirit out. You would anoint my words, anoint your word today, anoint our hearing today. Change us to be more like Jesus. We pray it in the name of Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, for the glory of God the Father. Amen. Thank you, team. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Can you feel the Spirit? Can you sense God is doing stuff? Yeah. Hallelujah. Well, we're almost, we just went over that bump a month before Christmas. And today I want to focus our attention a bit on a Christmassy kind of theme, but to help us get away from the Christmassy theme, even though we're in the Christmas mood, if you like. Help us to think more broadly. Um, so our focus is going to be the gospel in the book of Isaiah. The gospel according to Isaiah. But I'm going to start with the death of Queen Elizabeth II. At, at the Queen's funeral, one of the heralds uh, had the job, was charged with the job of speaking these words out. And this is what he said, referring to the uh, incumbent King Charles III. Let us humbly beseech Almighty God to bless with long life, health and honour and all worldly happiness the most high most mighty and most excellent monarch, our sovereign Lord, Charles III, now by the grace of God of the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland and of his other realms and territories, King, Head of the Commonwealth, Defender of the Faith and Sovereign of the Most Noble Order of the Garter. There's a certain weight that comes when you hear those pronouncements. And no matter what you might think of royalty or what you might think of King Charles himself, those names come with an opening of perspective. You see a different role, a different aspect of his reign. Well, the whole Bible tells us the story of Jesus the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's all Jesus' book. It's all revealing Jesus. But the great thing about the Old Testament is, because we're New Testament people, we live in the New Covenant, but the great thing about the Old Testament is it's like an overlay that brings things into focus. So if we've got the New Testament in front of us and we're reading the New Testament, when we see the Old Testament, it's as if it overlays and suddenly, bang, there it is in detail with crystal colour. It's beautifully illuminated for us because of the Old Testament. It provides for us a link to a culture which is so far removed from our own. And when we look at the New Testament through the lens of the Old Testament, we can see things more accurately. The Old Testament is no less truth because it's old. It's still true and it's not outdated. It's still telling us the story of Jesus. But what it does is it speaks into our concept of Jesus and it, it informs our ideas about salvation. And today we're going to look at this messianic prophecy that Isaiah spoke 700 years before the birth of Christ. 
And he said in that prophecy that a baby was going to be born. Hopefully today it's going to change the way we look at the baby at Christmas, how we look at the infant Christ. Because I have a suspicion that we can get tied up in the commercialism of Christmas just like everybody else on the planet and all the advertising and it's all geared towards gift giving and gift giving and we see the baby as a gift being given to us but we don't often get past the baby part and we can become a little sentimental, a little gooey, a little mushy and we see the baby today just like the pronouncement for King Charles I'm going to read to us Isaiah's prophecy and it's going to, Isaiah's prophecy I hope will inform our opinion of Jesus' birth and who Jesus is even at his birth and it wasn't the fact that we waited for all that 33 years until he was grown as a man then died, then he became. No, from his birth he was in fact God. He was in fact God. He was in fact powerful, mighty, and he was in fact everlasting from his birth, not just after the fact, but from his birth. See, a natural birth would dismantle the whole idea of salvation. If Jesus was not born from a virgin, then we would not have the salvation that we enjoy now because Jesus would be tainted with sin just like the rest of us. So I'm going to read to us Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. And imagine yourself to be in the royal throne room. And this is Isaiah's prophetic utterance. He's prophetic speaking into what is about to be 700 years in the future, what we now look back at and see 2,000 years ago. But the words that he speaks, I hope, will, will also give you an understanding and open, broaden your perspective on who the baby in the manger is. Are you ready? Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. It should be up on the screen. You can follow along. But I am almost encouraging you to close your eyes and imagine. Use your God-given imagination so whichever way look at it on the screen or imagine here we go for to us a child is born to us a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called wonderful counselor mighty god Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the greatness of His government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over His kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. 
Let's pray again. Holy Spirit, today would you reveal the Messiah to us freshly? Let the eyes of our heart be enlightened. Let us hear these heralding titles as if we've heard them for the first time. Let their proclamation carry great weight and importance. Unsettle our notion of reality. Inspire our understanding. Father, we look to you. We thank you for your written word. We thank you that today we can see through it the living word. We thank you for the majesty and humility of the Messiah, our Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. So going back to verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. In these two lines, Isaiah has captured the whole essence of what it means to be the God-man. A child is born, humanly speaking, the child is born. And his humanity obviously comes from the fact that he's born of a virgin Born his mother, gives him the humanity. The second line says, a son is given, which speaks to me of the divinity of Jesus, God giving because he loved. Now, the Messiah must be fully human and fully God. But most of all, he was not to inherit the corruption, the curse or even the old covenant that was uh, represented by Adam. So just quoting from Dale Partridge, he says, He would be conceived by the Holy Spirit, free of sin, legally adopted by an earthly father of the tribe of Judah, born in the line of David, and he'd stand before the world as the new Adam. Namely, he would be a new creation, able to keep the law, with perfection, to give his life as a ransom for many and to spiritually reproduce others who were not like the first Adam, but like him. So you can see it's essential, theologically speaking, that Jesus is born of a virgin and has the twin characteristics of human and divine. They are not separate. In Jesus, we find that they are merged one doesn't end and the other begin. They'd have no beginning and no end. He is perfectly God, perfectly man. The next line tells us the government will be on his shoulders. Now, I love looking in the concordance and seeing when the first mention of the words are in the Bible. And you can kind of get a meaning and an understanding because of the first mention. Well, I looked this up and guess where the first mention of government is? Right here. This is the first mention. The second mention is in verse 7. That's the only time the word government is used in the scripture. I thought, that's interesting. It's in reference to the God-man. It's in reference to Messiah, government resting on his shoulder. It actually had a meaning that was taking weight, the government taking weight responsibility but when I meant when I thought about the shoulder I thought of that really wonderful 
verse in Matthew chapter 11 where Jesus says, take my yoke upon me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Jesus' shoulder takes on the responsibility for the um, dominion of the kingdom of God. And yet he says to us, come and join me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. The government will be on his shoulder and he will be called. There's a proclamation aspect to the calling here. It's not just naming the name, but it's calling out the name. If you can get the change of meaning there, it's calling it out, speaking it as it is. And as you call it out, Isaiah, as he names it for us, we become aware of it. These four names that Jesus is given, the Messiah is given these four names. So it's prophetically he's speaking it out. He's proclaiming it out and we become aware of the weight of these names. It's not just like this is another name for God. This is in fact God. You cannot separate him from these roles, these titles. We hear that he is wonderful counsellor. Now the wonderful counsellor is, you can look at the two words, but I think we'll try and keep them together. In the early versions of the Bible, there was a comma. It said wonderful, comma, counsellor, comma. In the later translations of the Bible, they have grouped the two together. So wonderful is describing the counsellor. The New English translation has translated that phrase, extraordinary strategist. It's kind of meaning that the things that this Messiah will do are going to be extraordinary, out of the ordinary. His way of doing things will not be the way that you expect. And I started to think about Jesus' ministry as an extraordinary strategist. Think about the feeding of the 5,000. So Jesus has got all the crowds there and he's got the disciples and he's been preaching for quite a long period of time. Sun's starting to go down and everyone's hungry. And the disciples think the normal thing, we better go and send people off and they'll get some food and it'll all be good. But Jesus, the extraordinary strategist, the wonderful counsellor, has a different idea. He says, you feed them. What? How's that going to work? Jesus, the extraordinary strategist, has the way. And it tells us that 5,000 men uh, were fed as well as women and children. Uh, or think about raising Lazarus. So Jesus hears the news that Lazarus is sick. And so he says to his disciples, we'll stay here for another three days. And then um, apparently three days, after three days in the Jewish culture, three days was definitely the end. Uh, the spirit used to hover around, they believed, for three days. And there was some chance of coming back. But after three days, definitely dead. So Jesus turns up on the fourth day. And everyone's given up. He's got a different idea. And he gets them to roll back the stone and he speaks. And Lazarus comes out. 
He isn't dead. Extraordinary, wonderful, outside the realm of normal experience, the wonderful counsellor. Or what about even the resurrection of Jesus himself? Who would have thought? Who would have thought that would be possible? Three days after a terrible death by crucifixion, Jesus is raised from the dead. Oh, we can contemplate that for a long time. But that resurrection becomes the catalyst for our salvation. Without the resurrection, we don't have salvation. And now we have no fear of death. And we have no fear of future. And we have no fear of separation from God because Jesus has rose, has risen from the dead, which shows us that our spirit can be united with God. In 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 30, Paul writes, God has united you with Christ Jesus. For our benefit, God made him to be wisdom himself. So this extraordinary strategy that Jesus brings is an, an element of God's wisdom. God's wisdom displayed to us. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 3, in him, speaking of Jesus, Paul says, in him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Uh, one, an author that I have uh, been reading, Ray Pritchard says, as the wonderful counsellor, he makes the plans, but as the mighty God, he makes the plans work. And mighty God is the next thing. Now, when we hear the term mighty God, we're, we're not talking about, hang on, I thought God the Father was the mighty God and Jesus is the Son. Yes, that's correct, but we're not talking about Jesus usurping the authority of the Father. We're talking about Jesus, in fact, being mighty God. And that doesn't lessen God the Father's power. Um, Jesus said in several places, the Father and I are one. So... This term, mighty God, is referring to Jesus. When you see Jesus as a baby in the manger, he is, in fact, mighty God. And, and this term, mighty, means the mightiest, the greatest, the highest authority. And in Jewish culture, it was always linked to battles, fighting battles, getting victory. So mightiness, is that a term, mightiness, um, is referring to a great victor, a divine hero, a champion defender, Christ the Messiah. Let's have a look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 to 20. Speaking of the mighty God, the Son, this is what Paul says. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Now he's talking about Jesus, verse 16. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Listen to this. Jesus, the baby in the manger, 17. He is before all things and in him... 
all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Now we often think of mighty, and it was definitely the image that the um, Israelite or the Jewish people had. We think of that mighty as a victor in battle. But listen to this from Philippians chapter 2. This is another example of the mightiness of God. Philippians 2 and verse 5. Consider the example that Jesus the anointed one has set us. Let his mindset become your motivation. He existed in the form of God, yet he gave no thought to seizing equality with God as his supreme prize. Instead, he emptied himself of his outward glory by reducing himself to the form of a lowly servant. He's talking about God, talking about Jesus, talking about the baby, the Messiah. He became human. He humbled himself and became vulnerable, choosing to be revealed as a man and was obedient. He was a perfect example, even to his death, a criminal's death by crucifixion. Because of that obedience, God exalted him and multiplied his greatness. He's now been given the greatest of all names. Sounds a little bit like Isaiah to me. The authority of the name of Jesus causes every knee to bow in reverence. Everything and everyone will one day submit to his name. In the heavenly realm, in the earthly realm, and in the demonic realm. And every tongue will proclaim in every language, Jesus Christ is Lord Yahweh, bringing glory and honour to God his Father. This is the baby in the manger, the mighty God. But not only that, and this plays with your mind, Isaiah says, everlasting Father. Now we understand Jesus as the Son. So what is Isaiah getting at when he refers to the Messiah, Jesus, as everlasting Father? Well, first of all, everlasting we can get our head around that to some degree, but then we can't really. And the fact that he's calling the Messiah the Father is a tricky one to understand. I don't know if I fully understood it myself, but I have had some revelation on it. And so I'm happy to share it with you that a father's role was twofold, to protect and to provide. So in terms of protecting, I think Jesus did a pretty good job of it. Look what Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 17 and 18. He's giving a testimony. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength, 
so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. So in situations that we get into, we can see that Jesus provides us the protection of a father. Paul testified to that, and probably many people here can testify pretty much the same thing, that Jesus was with them and protecting. The second thing we see about a father back in the day was, and even today, was that they would provide for their family, and Jesus obviously has provided life. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 20 reads, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. So under the terms of those two prerequisites, protection and provision of life, Jesus fits the bill as the Father. And everlasting means there's no end. There is no end. It doesn't stop. From that point on, it doesn't stop. It's everlasting. Everlasting Father. Everlasting Father. He will never run out. Um, we had in the prayer meeting this morning, someone prayed, God is, um, the way Jesus works is he didn't just provide a little bit of salvation. He provided full salvation and the salvation continues and continues and continues. He'll never run out. He'll never run dry. Charles Spurgeon said, there is no unfathering Christ and there is no unchilding us. <laughs> And then finally, Isaiah says he's the Prince of Peace. It's easy for us to get an understanding because we, un we do have a concept of peace. And the word shalom is such a big word. And it has all, it's got so wide its parameters. But the prince meaning like the captain, the leader, the commander, a general, someone who is out the front. It's just like... I'm just seeing like uh, you're in the water and you're going through and you can see the waves of the, the wake of the boat going on either side. As the Prince of Peace moves through, that ripple that goes behind him is the peace. That's what's affecting everybody who's in touch with that, the Prince of Peace. Shalom meaning, like so many meanings, completeness, soundness, wholeness, health, prosperity, contentment. It's so much more than just no conflict. Jesus said to his disciples, Peace I leave you. My peace I give you. I don't give you as the world gives, so don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. Prince of Peace. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 13 and 14 from the Passion Translation says, Yet look at you now. Everything is new. 
Although you were once distant and far away from God, now you have been brought delightfully close to Him through the sacred blood of Jesus. You have actually been united to Christ. Our reconciling peace is Jesus. He has made Jew and non-Jew one in Christ. By dying as our sacrifice, He's broken down every wall of prejudice that separated us and has now made us equal through our union with Christ. Verse 17, For the Messiah has come to preach this sweet message of peace to you, the ones who are distant and to those who are near. The Prince of Peace. C.S. Lewis said, I love C.S. Lewis. Did you know C.S. Lewis, the C stands for Clive? Yeah, there you go. Um, I like C.S. Lewis a lot. So this is what he said about this. God can't give us peace and happiness apart from himself because without him, there is no peace and happiness. So just to conclude today, I hope that you have seen that the baby in the manger is much bigger than a baby in the manger. The people of Israel and Judah back in Isaiah's time were looking for a Messiah. And as the titles that Isaiah proclaimed, as those titles suggested, they were busy looking for a military strategist. They were looking for someone powerful in battle. They were looking someone to father the nation. And they were looking for someone to bring peace to their borders, like bring back the glory days of Solomon. And in their eagerness to look for that, they overlooked the birth of the Christ. Now we, on the other hand, in the 21st century, have to be careful not to become overly focused on the birth of Christ that we miss that miraculous Messiah stepping into mankind. We don't want to be lulled by commercialism and the imagery of the little baby in the manger into just remembering the babe of Bethlehem and not reminding ourselves of the Lion of Judah. So my prayer today and for this Christmas time for all of us is that we think on those uh, wonderful counsellor, those titles, Mighty God, Prince of Peace, and Everlasting Father. Isaiah said of the greatness, please come up uh, team, of the greatness of his government and of his peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Amen.